This is Harrison Kim, and you're listening to Working With People by PaveStep. The Working With People podcast is for executives, managers, and people leaders. We bring people experts together to provide you with relevant content on how to think about and manage your most important asset, your talent. We have Anastina here with us today. How are you? I'm good, Kim. Thanks. How are you? Good, good. Where are you calling in from? Uh, London. Cool, cool. Uh, how is it, how are things over there? <laughs> well, well, we're we're slowly merging out of lockdown, and I think everyone is sort of like going crazy. Yeah, <laughs> so, overly excited for it. Overly <laughs> excited, exactly. Myself included. I'm looking outside, and it's sunny, and it's beautiful, and people are happy, and we're almost there. So yeah, yeah. it's funny <laughs> how much weather affects our mood and our behaviors. I mean. Yeah. It, no, it's crazy. Yeah. It's a proven 100%. fact. I mean, we, we know that, you know, there's, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm from Finland originally, and there's something called like the winter blues. Mm. Um, it's, it's literally a, a recognized sort of um, right. a symptom that you get, which is linked to just a lack of light. Yep. You have, you, you don't see sunlight for months, so you get depressed. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, well-being and wellness and how they relate to performance, really. Uh, but before we do that, tell us who you are and what you do. So my name is Anastasia Hinsa. I'm the CEO of Hinsa Performance. Uh, we're a coaching company um, and our mission is to help individuals live a better life and as a consequence perform better. The company was originally founded by my father, um, Dr. Rakhinsa, about 20 years ago. Um, and our roots actually go back to sports. Uh, most notably Formula One. So we've been coaching athletes um, since the late 1990s and uh, with with pretty pretty good results. It's sort of like our human test laboratory. Our drivers have won mm. a total of 15 world championships and uh, 96%, 96% of podium places in the last seven seasons. Wow. So it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty extreme and pretty interesting environment to be sort of experimenting you know, what is it that makes up for kind of sustainable human high performance, uh, which is kind of, which is what we're really interested in. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, that's a really interesting fact. I'm, I'm excited to kind of dive in a little bit deeper into it later. Um, so how do you define, you know, well-being or, and or wellness in your mind? Like, what do you, what, what comes to mind when you think of those two words? So, so we, we talk about well-being as a foundation uh, for that sustainable high performance. So we, we believe that better life leads to better performance, period. It's not something you try and kind of maintain on the side. It's not something you, you know, we, we often have this idea that we earn the right to look after ourselves after we work really, really hard for a really long time. Yeah, and that's yeah. just completely twisted because like if we, when we take that mentality, we, we end up sort of in in the, we end up in burnout, frankly. Uh, yeah. that's, that's sort of like, it's, it's a very short-sighted route to take. And uh, if we're looking for something a little bit more sustainable uh, in the long run, uh, we actually need to start with well-being. Mm. And um, the way we see it or the way we define it is, is holistic or integrated. Um, one of the challenges that we see in the market still is that, you know, it's, it's not the lack of information. There's almost like, there's too much information right. out there. Um, it's the fact that it's, it's kind of, it's often conflicting and hard to piece together. I mean, if you if you read the news or any take any news out that you want, um, if you're following different influencers uh, talking about well-being and, and yeah. health, you'll find 
um, I think 72% of American adults are saying they get conflicting advice about their health. And that's, uh, that's a pretty staggering number. So if you take that, um, our approach is sort of the opposite. A, we base everything that we do on, on uh, evidence and science. And then the other, other thing for us that's important is that we take a holistic perspective. So all of the different areas of health and well-being are actually interconnected. We talk about a model that my father created, which is the circle of better life. Um, mm. Consists of, you imagine like a circle in front of you uh, with six different elements on the outer side and then in the center of it, what he called the core. But if we start with the six elements, um, we have your physical activity, your nutrition, your sleep and recovery, biomechanics, mental energy, and general health. And all of those are actually interconnected. They influence mm -hmm. one another. If you are unbalanced in one of the areas, you'll end up having, you know, you'll end up not working optimally in the others either. Yep. So like, for instance, a lot of times, you know, people trying to, whatever, lose weight, um, yep. they'll focus and zoom in on the nutrition piece or the physical activity piece. Uh, whereas in fact, you know, they might've actually want to start with sleep. And that's sort of like how, how all of it comes together. Um, and then in the center of that, where it all starts from, you know, well-being and health, it's not something that you can force on anyone. It has to start with an intrinsic motivation, which we call the core. And the core really is about, you know, knowing who you are, you know, what are the things that actually matter to you? Where are the people that you value? Yep. What are the, you know, what makes you tick? What looks like, what does a life that looks like you actually look like? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the second question that we ask is, you know, do you know what you actually want? So <laughs> yeah. again, a question is not just, not just in terms of your career or at work, but you know, yeah. how do you define success outside the work context? And then finally, you know, do you control your life? And I think that's a really difficult question, especially these days when there are a lot of things we don't control. Right. And that's actually equally important to recognize, you know, what are the things that we can control such as a global pandemic or the rate of vaccinations being rolled out, which now yeah. seems to be positive, but you know, uh, there was a time when we didn't see that coming. Um, and then, you know, what are the things that you actually can influence? And you'll find out that there are a lot of like little things that you can actually tweak and those little things accumulate and have a have an impact. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, a and, long and, <laughs> yeah, no, all good. That's really comprehensive, comprehensive and helpful. And it's there's a few things that I picked up on there, which is kind of interesting. Around you know, you talked about this mindset of you got to work really hard, and then yeah. that's when you deserve a break. And it's funny because people even think about it from a week to week perspective, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to work really hard this week, you know, these weekdays, Monday to Friday, therefore I can just hang out and chill on Saturdays and Sundays and people live for the weekend, right? Which is kind of a Which scary mindset. <laughs> you have seven days in a week and you live for the two. How, do, how on <laughs> earth does that make sense? And then when you take that, that sort of like mentality, what you end up doing is that you work really, really hard for five days and then you recover or try right. and recover for the last two. And that's not really helpful either because you still end up sort of missing living that life. Yeah. And I think that's sort of, uh, yeah, that, that for me is kind of like a key shift in mindset that we have to take. Yeah, which I think is so hard. I, I'm sure I can't do it either. I've, I've actually systematically um, started taking off Tuesday nights. Yeah. Um, because I was like, okay, I need to like structurally have something like not like, you know, blocked off basically. Right. So that I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, you know, burning out by Thursday night. I'm like, oh, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah. No, no, seriously. And it is about like, I mean, there's so much talk about boundaries and I, I mean, mm -hmm. I went through burnout myself early in my career and I, 
I remember kind of thinking like people were, oh, you just got to prioritize and set yourself some boundaries. And I found <laughs> that's so unhelpful. Like that's the least helpful thing you can tell to a person who is burnt out, like literally burnt out. I, I fall down the stairs and hit my head. That's how burnt wow, out I yeah. was. And, and sort of uh, at that point in time, you were like, you're incapable of making decisions about, you know, what shirt you want to wear to work. So right, you're definitely right. not thinking about prioritizing. You're definitely not thinking about setting up quote unquote boundaries. Yeah. But I think like, you know, if we can approach that more sort of like from a kind of preventative perspective, as you have done, sort of like, hey, I take Tuesday nights off yeah. and then have some kind of a temporal or structural boundary to do that. So like for me, for instance, I have similar things, um, which I've just set in place. Like, you know, I agree to go for a walk with my friend. Mm. I agree to call my mother, which is also <laughs> a very good temporal boundary to have. Yeah. Whatever it is that keeps you, holds you accountable to kind of like shifting away from that work mode. That's really hard to do, especially right now that we're working from home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that's sort of, uh, yeah, that, that's one of the things that we hopefully can do a little bit more proactively. Yeah, actually just one follow-up question around burnout. Um, so you've obviously worked with extremely high performing individuals, whether it's in the field, like literally, or whether it's in the office, um, is burnout, a more common thing for high performers? Is that is that something that you see often? The answer is yeah. Does it get talked about as much? No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so so there is um, there are some studies that indicate that burnout that high performers might actually be at a higher risk of burnout mm -hmm. um, due to sort of some of the innate strengths that they have, um, right. such as you know an incredible ability to focus. You're so focused on the task that you actually kind of ignore your body's warning signals. Your, our, our bodies have a unique system of like emotional, cognitive, behavioral, physical um, signals that they try to kind of like yell, yell at us saying like, right. hey, dude, slow down. Yeah. Um, I can't take it anymore. But, you know, high performers with that ability to focus are able to often kind of just ignore it and keep on going. They have incredible stamina, resilience, and all those are wonderful strengths and characteristics that, you know, propel you to the top. Right. At the same time, it actually might put you at a higher risk of um, overusing those strengths, if you will. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so we're touching on this already, you know, how does well-being relate to performance, right? And you've already kind of talked about the, you know, you know, the, the five day, two day thing is kind of you know, yeah. ridiculous. So how does well-being really relate to performance in your mind? So, so I think it's, I think I already said it once, but the way we see it is that mm -hmm. well-being is what leads to performance. It's the foundation for, and I like to talk about sustainable high performance because that's really what we're after. Anyone can kind of push themselves, you know, to perform at their peak for a short mm -hmm. period of time. But if you have to keep on doing that, you know, not just, you know, five days in a row, but five days in a row, and then another five days and another five days and another five days. Right. Um, at some point, even the high performers start wearing out. And um, that sort of um, the sustainability of the performance is the key for me. And how well-being sort of like links there, I think it's, it's, it's almost um, kind of in two ways. It's both sort of like on element level, we know that for instance, I mean, there's so much talk about sleep nowadays. There's so right. much talk about, you know, focus, creativity. Um, we know that, you know, holistic health and well-being, all those different elements have an impact on what we call unique human skills. So the World Economic Forum talks about creativity, um, mm -hmm. collaboration, complex problem solving, 
unique human skills and capabilities, especially important in this day of digitalization and automation. When we think about, you know, what will the future of work look like? Mm -hmm. um, it will be, we'll have to tap into that potential. And we know that, you know, those are all skills that are the output of a rested and focused brain. So in order to get there, in order to be able to, I mean, you know this, if you think about it, think about yep. a time when you were like, you know, working really hard, you have your whatever 18 hour day, and then you're still thinking about whether I should do this one final thing. The thing that normally takes you, I don't know, would take you half an hour to do, you end up spending three hours because you're so tired. You're so cognitively yep. depleted. And that's sort of like, that's the point where you get to. Another really good example of like how, how well-being impacts performance is when we're sleep deprived, we actually become, it actually impacts our emotional intelligence. Mm. So we become less aware of our own emotions, less able to control our own emotions and reactions. And our ability to read emotions from another person's face actually diminishes. Mm. So we start, we, we are less able to interpret other right. people's emotions as well. And, and that sort of like that will impact your ability for empathy, yeah, uh, your ability yeah. to collaborate. Um, it impacts, you know, that when you're tired, you're also one of the kind of central symptoms of burnout or chronic stress is uh, cynicism. So you're less, <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind yeah. of unsurprising, huh? But you become sort of less open to any new ideas because yeah, yeah. your cognitive load is so high that your immediate reaction to anything new is no, can't yeah. do it can't take it right now let me just try and survive whatever i'm doing right now right so it has it has an impact like with athletes it's easy to think that yeah of course it has an impact on their performance and track but you maybe fail to recognize it that 80 percent of the kind of athlete performance is actually mental it's not just about you know it's about those unique human skills and the second point that i think is equally important is also about the ability to draw on those unique human skills the ability mm. to adapt to kind of different circumstances the ability to kind of uh, self-reflect yeah, yeah, and then then um, reframe. Got so it. I think, and that that I've seen, like, I think the adaptability piece is another really interesting one, especially now that we think of, uh, you know, what happens when restrictions are lifted and life looks like something else <laughs> yeah. again. We're having to adapt yet again to yeah. a new normal, which, I, which, which, which does require for us to have the capacity to do so, the right. mental and physical capacity. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Now I want to switch gears a little bit. So we've talked a lot about kind of well-being and wellness and performance at, I think a little bit more individual level. Right. Uh, but of course, when, you know, when you're a leader or manager or an executive thinking about, okay, how do I think about this in the grand scheme of my organization, right. Or my team even um, any thoughts there, you know, what does that look like from an organization team or, you know, and tied to the individual level? That's a fantastic question. Um, so first of all, I actually think that we, we work, most of our work is with organizations, uh, mm. it's with leaders and it's with entire organizations of tens of thousands of employees around the world. And uh, I think the key there is that you cannot actually separate individual and organizational well-being. They're again, interlinked. Mm. So the same way that, you know, you can't, well, well-being, you can't take an, even if an individual was super motivated to look after their own health and well-being, you put them in a work environment that's potentially toxic or not supportive, right. and they won't survive for very long. Similarly, even if you have an organization that's, you know, willing to really promote these themes, but the individual is sort of uninterested or, you know, not, not willing to take <laughs> yeah. it on, not motivated, it's not something that you can push down from the HR function. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's sort of, uh, 
it's they, they are again interlinked. And the way we look at it is um, we look at a set of kind of well-being outcomes on organizational level, such as um, burnout risk, turnover intention, motivation, learning, thriving, engagement. Yeah. Um, those are sort of like the outcomes that we see in terms of well-being. And then we look at different drivers. Well-being, individual well-being is just one of them. Mm-hmm. We also have three others. We look at leadership, culture, and something called employee orientation. So mindsets, behaviors. Mm-hmm. And uh, those things, um, this is actually a study that we've been running together with the Aldi University for three years now. Um, it's a research on future at work. And uh, those things together have an impact then on, um, on the organizational outcomes. Got it, got it, right. So you can't just look at, everything's linked, right? And everything kind yeah. of affects one another and you can't just look at well-being as like this, uh, one specific problem you're going to solve and it's, you're going to get the key to the city, right? It, no, you've got a, exactly. One component uh, of high performance and of having these impact on your, these kind of, you know, large impact on your organization. Exactly. And I mean, like when you're talking about well-being, one of the kind of, um, we're often asked like, you know, what's the kind of key success factor uh, if we think about well-being or well-being programs? And I mean, everyone is now talking about, you know, well-being, well-being yeah. programs and initiatives, which I think, by the way, is amazing. I think that's a really welcome change. Um, however, we often think of it as, oh, we're doing this campaign or we're doing X, Y, Z. And I, I challenge that a little bit. I don't think that's enough. I think we need to think about it more in terms of uh, a well-being strategy. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if I had to name one kind of key success factor that we have seen, it is leadership and uh, in particular leadership role modeling. Yeah. So yeah. I think those that's kind of like the, if that's not there, it's it's sort of like, frankly, empty talk. Yeah, it's, it's totally fair. I mean, we see this in our work as well around kind of leadership sponsorship and kind of role modeling most importantly, right? Um, when our clients or partners, you know, walk the talk, uh, especially at the executive level and throughout the organization that, you know, that expands quickly, right? Where, where if it's, more like not, it's just talk really, <laughs> anything yeah. else. Um, then employees, you know, whether intuitively or consciously or unconsciously see it and feel yeah. it, right? So yeah. it's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting thing. Yeah, the role modeling is definitely, definitely powerful. Um, so you mentioned that your firm has a history of working with athletes. Uh, one question is any interesting learnings from that experience? Uh, and then two, which one's easier to work with? <laughs> employees or athletes? <laughs> Ooh, tough one. I don't know how to answer the last one. Um, so uh, to your first question, I, I think there's one uh, analogy in particular, which I really like, especially when we talk about stress and that's kind of sustainable for performance and, you know, the, the five to work week yeah, uh, that yeah. we were just describing. Um, and, and it's called um, super compensation. Um, mm. So when, when an athlete trains, um, they actually, you actually, or when you train, you actually break muscle mm-hmm. and, uh, you kind of, you, you break muscle, you go beyond below your starting baseline. And it is only during rest and recovery that you start building new muscle tissue. You end up at your baseline and above. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, that piece above is what's called super compensation. You repeat, you again, kind of end up a little bit below, during rest and recovery, you build new muscle and you can end up above your starting baseline. So that's that idea of super compensation and uh, basically learning and growing only 
during recovery is actually very much applicable also to stress. So if an individual is chronically, if we're chronically stressed, mm -hmm. uh, we're lacking those moments of recovery during our day uh, on a weekly basis, uh, on sort of more seasonal basis. Athletes also talk about periodization in terms of like micro macro cycles. Um, if we lack periods of rest, we're actually not allowing us ourselves to leverage the positives of stress. Because mm -hmm. stress in itself is, it's not like we talk about it often as just negative, but it's not just negative. It actually does help us to learn and grow right. similar to an athlete actually training their body. So if combined with, you know, rest, uh, stress can actually be a positive to us. And I think that kind of analogy of super compensation is a pretty powerful one. I thought you were going to talk about money. Ah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, super conversation. Sounds like money. Well, kind of translates. You need to take a few steps after, but yeah, indirect impact, definitely. Um, yeah. And which one is easier to work with or harder to work with? Uh, I'm sorry. It depends on individual. There are yeah. some. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to have to go for that. Depends the most unsatisfying answer. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Perfect. Perfect. Well, awesome. Those are all the, you know, the big questions that I had. Um, anything else on your mind that you wanted to share uh, last bit, or is that kind of the, the key, key, key insights? I, th I think we covered quite a bit of ground already. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Anastina. Where can the audience find you and your thought leadership? Um, Hintsa, H-I-N-T-S-A.com. Perfect. That's the kind of best source for both insights and, and, uh, inspiration. Awesome. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to working with people. P feel free to check out other episodes on pavestep.com slash podcast. Thanks, Anastina. Thanks. Bye.